All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and uh, let us look at verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Uh, that's right, as we're reading here, you notice we're finishing up Ecclesiastes. Uh, for those of you that haven't been with us, all last year, 2004, we studied the first book of Solomon's wisdom called Proverbs. It took us all year last year. And then this year, intermittently, we have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes all year. So we have about a year and a half's worth of study into the uh, wisdom of Solomon that God gave him. And this is the conclusion uh, tonight. And so it, uh, it sure is an exercise on your brain to read his writings. Uh, he was unlike any other man. Uh, turn back. Now keep your place here. We're going to come back right back here. But turn back to 1 Kings. I want to just show you some things about Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter number 3. It says this about Solomon in verse number 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was with him. They saw, this is talking about Solomon, they saw that the wisdom of God was with him. Keep in mind, when you study Solomon's writing, you're studying the wisdom of God. It wasn't something Solomon had. It was something Solomon asked for. He said, God, give me an understanding heart. And God gave him an understanding heart. And he wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,000 songs. Look at 1 Kings 4 and verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore. There's no other human being that could be described this way. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. Look at 1 Kings 5 and verse 7. And it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he greatly rejoiced and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, which hath given unto David a wise son over this great people. So notice Solomon here is described as a wise son. Look at verse 12. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. Um, if you've never done this before, write down next to that verse in your Bible, James chapter 1 and verse 5. It says this, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. See, what God did for Solomon is not supposed to be rare. This testimony here in 1 Kings 5.12 is not supposed to be rare. We should be able to put our names in there. It says, and, God, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom. We ought to be able to stick our names in there. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's one of the clearest prayer promises in all the Bible, James 1 and verse 5. 
So I want to encourage you to constantly pray for wisdom. Pray that God will give you an understanding heart. Now, when he does it, you're not going to necessarily immediately recognize it. But when you're going to get down the road of your life, you're going to look back and you're going to say, man, I started making right decisions there and right decisions there and right decisions there and right decisions there. God can give you an understanding heart. Look at 1 Kings 10, 24. And we've got to get back to our text, but these are all saying the same thing. 1 Kings 10, 24. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom. Now notice these words, which God had put in his heart. All the earth. And guess what? They still do. There's people who read Proverbs. There's people who read Solomon every day looking for wisdom. All the earth. See, so Solomon was a unique individual. However, Solomon was the tale of two persons. With all this given to him, and uh, let's go back to Ecclesiastes 12, with all this given to him, he was a man endued with special wisdom and understanding from God on the one hand, but on the other hand, he was a man who walked far from God into the wisdom of the world on the other hand. Now, this was Solomon's doing. God was upset with Solomon because of this. As you study the, as if you study the history of Solomon. And yet, God in his sovereignty used uh, Solomon's backsliding, if you want to use that word, his carnality. Uh, God in his sovereignty used that long journey he took away from God to include that wisdom in the Lord's book, the Bible, and that book is called Ecclesiastes. This is the book of Solomon's wisdom that he received from the world when he walked away from God. Remember, he walked with God for about 22 years, and then he had one huge weakness, one fault, and that was women, an outlandish women, foreign women, from the daughter of Pharaoh, his first wife, to the 700 other wives and concubines and princes that he took, they turned his heart away from God, and he went off into the world for 15 years, far away from God, and he looked under every rock in the world to find satisfaction. He looked to partying, he looked to music, he looked to money, he looked to worldly wisdom, and he found none. It left him empty and depressed. That's what the phrase is, vanity of vanities, all is vanity and uh, uh, heaviness. He, he was empty and depressed, and that's about the best the world can do for you, is leave you empty and depressed if you're going to look to the world to satisfy you. And I would be critical of Solomon myself for this if I hadn't done it myself uh, on a much, much smaller scale. <laughs> there was a day when I just walked away from church completely, and everything my dad and the pastor and my teachers taught me, and I just went off into the world for about three years. And I can testify in a much, much smaller capacity than Solomon that it left me empty and unsatisfied. And I'm glad God took me back. Amen? And he's always looking for that prodigal son to come back and clean me up. And boy, since that time that I rededicated my life to the Lord when I was about 21, I've never gone back to the world. And uh, never have I sought fulfillment in the wisdom of this world and in the mirth uh, of this world and the pleasures of this world never have and I want to encourage you never to do it it is not there 
There is no satisfaction. Now we come to the great summation of his wisdom in these last two verses of his books. The, well, he did write, write the Song of Solomon, which was a book about marriage and love and, and so on, and we didn't study that one, but I want to encourage each of you tonight to try to commit verses 13 and 14 to memory. Try to commit it to memory. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's just spend a little time tonight studying out these statements in verses 13 and 14, and, and we'll be done with the books of Solomon's wisdom tonight. When you look at verse 13 and you hear the words, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. You know, I just went through five verses in the book of Kings that tells you that all of Solomon's wisdom was given to him by God. That he knew more wisdom than any man that ever walked the earth. That God gave him an understanding heart. And, and if you remember those verses from just a few minutes ago, for a man like that to say something like this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Man, we better not miss this. I mean, if, if you didn't understand Proverbs and if you didn't understand Ecclesiastes, at least your ears ought to perk up when he says this, and you say, boy, I better at least get this much out of what he said. This is like when we were in school, and uh, when uh, you missed everything. Uh, maybe, maybe not you. I was a daydreamer uh, when I was in school, and I just about missed everything my teachers taught me, whether men or women. But boy, there was, there was just something that would just snap me and jar me back into, responsibility, uh, uh, into reality, and that was when I heard him say, now this is going to be on the test. And man, all of a sudden, it just jolted me right back into reality. <laughs> I said, I better remember this right here. I better remember this. I don't know if you were like that or not. I've, I've just always been a dreamer all my life, and I'd rather stare out the window in school than pay attention. And I probably shouldn't be saying these things publicly. But, uh, but then once in a while, your teacher, no matter how boring it was, you'd hear him say something like that. Now, this is going to be on the test. And man, it just jolts you right back into reality. Well, that's kind of what this statement's like right here, for me at least. When a man of Solomon's wisdom, when the whole earth in his day came to hear and to seek out his wisdom. And a man like that, you know, just, just who had profound understanding, when he says something like, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Folks, we better pay attention to these next few words right here. And what are they? Fear God. Fear God. Wisdom and fearing God are the same thing. We learned back in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Both those statements were made by Solomon in the previous book. Another man, also a man of wisdom, I think, chimed in on this. Turn back to Job. It's right before Psalms. And this is another one of those verses I would encourage you to commit to word-perfect memory. Job 28, 
and verse 28. I just made a statement. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Wisdom is fearing God. They are equal. They are one and the same. Look at Job 28, 28. God is speaking now through Job, and he says, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. It's not only the bottom line, like Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I've been going on and on and on and on and on here through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, but let me tell you the bottom line. If you want to know what wisdom is, here it is in two words. Fear God. Fear God. And Job says, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Wisdom and the fear of the Lord are equated here. And to depart from evil is understanding. Now how do you know if you fear God? There are two evidences that a man or a woman fears God. The first is this, they depart from evil. They don't embrace it. They don't love it. They don't get involved in it. They don't endorse it. They don't try to introduce it to their friends. They don't participate in it. One of the evidences that a person fears God, and you test yourself, I'll test myself tonight, is they depart from evil. They depart from evil. Does that describe us tonight? Does that describe us? In Proverbs 16 and verse 16, I'm sorry, Proverbs 16 and verse 6, it says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And listen to this. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So the first evidence tonight that you and I fear God is that we are departing from evil. Not that we're getting more and more involved in it, not that we're embracing it, not that we are enjoying it. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. We do not cheer ourselves in iniquity. We can't stand evil. The more and more we fear God, the less and less we love this world. The more and more we fear God, the more and more it, it, it breaks our heart to see the world becoming more and more evil. I sense tonight that there's not much of the fear of the Lord in our country, even in our churches. There's a lot of evil being tolerated in churches today. When there's a lack of the fear of the Lord, it says this is what happens in Psalm 36 and verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. David is writing there in Psalm 36, and he's saying, when I see wicked people transgressing, I say within my heart, that person does not fear God. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Romans 3.18, Paul said, There is no fear of God before their eyes. We need to fear the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we're afraid of Him like He's going to kill us, you know, and, and, and so we don't go near Him. No, 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 it's not talking about that. It is talking about being afraid of God and knowing that 
our God is a loving God, but he's also a, a father who is to be feared, that he has boundaries, that he has morals he's set up for us, that he has rules we must obey, and that when we cross the line, uh, he's going to deal with us. And uh, we ought to fear him in that way. I, I, I appreciate uh, the fact that I was able to grow up with a father who was quite balanced in that way. I knew that he loved me, uh, but I also knew that I would receive the rod of correction um, if there was a line that I crossed uh, with him. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now our God is long-suffering, and sometimes because he is long-suffering, people tend not to fear him. I heard someone once say this, God, uh, how'd they say it? God was more long-suffering with Jericho. I know, God gave Jericho more time to repent than he spent creating the worlds. He made everything in six days. He gave Jericho seven days. Because he's more interested in mercy than judgment. And that's why we so often don't see his wrath poured out. Because he's more interested in mercy. He has no delight in the death of the wicked, the scripture says. But rather that he turn to the Lord. But we ought to fear God. I think some of the stuff going on in America, uh, you know, and I, again, I would put this under the category of my own opinion. I think some of the stuff's judgment from God on our country. It's trying to get our attention. The scripture says God is known by the judgments which he executes. I think he's trying to get our attention. I'm not saying those people down in the south are any worse than we are. We could come here any time. But I think God's trying to get our attention. And I think things are happening all over the world. God gives people space to repent it tells us in the book of Revelation. He gives us space. But while he gives us that space, we ought to repent. We ought to repent. But there's a general lack of the fear of God. And the first evidence that a person fears God is they depart from evil. They depart from evil. Are you departing from evil tonight? Am I departing from evil? Or are we getting used to the dark? Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Now going back to our text, there's a second evidence that a person really fears God. And what is it? Number two, it's the keeping of his commandments. Not only do we depart, depart from evil, that's the first evidence, but the second evidence is we keep his commandments. In verse 13 it says, fear God and keep his commandments keep his commandments. Our God is a God of commandments, not suggestions. The Bible is full of commandments. And through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, in Romans chapter 8 and verses 1 through 4, we can keep his commandments. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit, for we cannot keep them in our own flesh. We will fail every time. We must ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and endue us with his power and might and to come upon us so that we can fulfill all righteousness, as it says in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. No, we're not under the civil law of Israel as given in the 
Mosaic law. We're not under the uh, sacrificial law or the ceremonial law of Israel that we find in the first five books of the Bible. And I understand that. Um, but God's moral law is still applied out today. And um, nine out of the Ten Commandments, for example, are repeated for us in uh, the uh, New Testament. And the keeping of the Sabbath lasted right up until Acts 18 when uh, Paul made that one declaration, I, I, I turned to the Gentiles, and then from that point on you never read about the Sabbath again in the Bible. Uh, two, days later, or two chapters later, they're meeting on the first day of the week. Sunday. But these are not suggestions. The Ten Commandments. I, uh, I talked to somebody not too long ago and, and I, you know, I, I told him, I said, you know, <laughs> you're not supposed to be fornicating. And, and they just looked at me like, where'd you come up with that idea? Well, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. That's not a suggestion. I don't care if it's 2005 and everybody's doing it or not. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. God has many commandments. Some are great, like we talked on this past Sunday morning, which was, the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. I don't know about you, I struggle with the first one. I struggle with the great one. But then there are the least of his commandments also, as mentioned in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. And listen to what Jesus said about the least of his commandments. He said, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so it sounds like the least of his commandments are important. Doesn't it sound like that way to you? Let me read it again. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But there is a... Whatever it means, Jesus said there are things called the least commandments. But they're so important to the Lord, he says you better not teach anybody that they're not important. And, uh, you know, sometimes pastors get tempted by the devil, you know, and the devil crawls up on your shoulder and says, you know, if you just lay off of that for a while, you'd have a bigger church. More people would come if you didn't touch that and you didn't deal with this and you didn't bring that up. This offends people today. So why, why do you talk about that? But it's in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. And, and you know, you just have to preach the Word. Be instant in season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine is the instructions. And the goal of preaching is found in Colossians 1 and verse 28. It says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The goal of preaching is not to have the biggest church in town. The goal of preaching is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Everybody that God has given us 
in our responsibility. Husbands, you read Ephesians 5. What's the main reason for marriage? The main reason in Ephesians 5 for marriage is so you can help a woman prepare for the day she must stand before Christ. That's the main reason you got married, is to help that woman become more spiritual. Read Ephesians chapter 5. And going back to our text, you notice it brings up the judgment. Fear God and keep His commandments. The biggest commandment, which we know the first one, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We know the second one, love thy neighbor as thyself. I don't know what the third one is. Somebody, as I said Sunday, said there's 216 commandments in the New Testament. I don't know if that's true or not. But you know, we better not trifle with number 216. We better not look at 216 and say, well, it's 2005. Who cares about that today? No, we better say, well, if that's the least of his commandments, I better teach it. Because Jesus said so. Now notice it says here in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Duty is a Bible word. Duty is mentioned eight times in the scripture. It is a Bible word. Now I know there's people that say, well, we ought to do everything out of love and we ought to... Yeah, that's true. But I know I only know of one uh, catalyst, really, I think that will keep us faithful to the end. Uh, and that's duty. Duty. We have to do our duty. And it is the whole duty of man. Uh, it's the whole thing. Now we got the whole matter and the whole duty in one verse. Verse 13. And I wish I could say that I've done everything in my life by love. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? But come on, let's be honest. Should you go to your job on days when you don't love it? Why? It's your duty. It's your duty. Should we go to church on days when we don't feel like it? Yes, why? It's our duty. Should we love our husband or love our wife on days maybe when we just don't feel like it? Yes, why? It's our duty. Doing our duty, I think, is the most underrated uh, of all of the uh, catalysts uh, to accomplish God. We just have to do our duty. There's not enough people doing their duty. There's too many people that are just following their feelings. Well, I don't feel like it anymore, so I quit. Uh, duty. Put down uh, at verse number 13 there, my responsibility. My responsibility is to fear God and keep his commandments. This is my duty. Duty on our country is what we tell our soldiers. I don't think the guys in Iraq necessarily want to be there right now, but they're doing their duty, and thank God they're there. In Afghanistan and so on and so forth. Whether the cause be just or not, they're there. They're getting the job done. <coughs> duty. Now, if you need a greater influence, and we'll, we'll close with this. Verse 14, I think, even gives a greater influence. It says in verse 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, 
whether it be good or whether it be evil. We, uh, we must fear God. We must keep his commandments. It's our duty. But not only is our duty, it is our duty, but it is our accountability. It's our accountability. For God shall bring every work into judgment. Well, when was the last time you ever heard a sermon on the judgment? Just not many around anymore. The judgment. The judgment. The judgment. For God shall bring every work into judgment. Every person is going to be judged someday. The unsaved at the great white throne judgment seat. We're told that in Revelation chapter 20. For you and I, it's the Bema seat. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. Listen, whether it be good or bad. Here in the Old Testament, whether it be good or whether it be evil. In the New Testament, whether it be good or whether it be bad. What's that tell me? It tells me some bad stuff's going to come up on that day. It's not going to be a Sunday school picnic or a walk in the park. No, we're not going to be judged for our sins. Jesus was judged for those. He died for our sins, paid the price. But we're going to be judged for our works. Our works. That is what we have done for God since the time he saved us. We're taught of this in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15. It says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, that is Jesus Christ, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, gold, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is not a judgment to determine whether we're saved or not. That judgment was settled the day you received Christ as your Savior. Amen? Uh, it's eternally settled. This is a judgment of our works after we're saved. I believe as you compare this with other texts in the Bible, that from the moment you're saved until the moment you die or the rapture takes place, everything we do as a saved person is going to be tried. What we do with every day is called our works. The works of our life, not us, but the works of our life are going to be thrown into a fire. I don't know if this is figuratively, spiritually, metaphoric, I don't know what it means. But it says, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, that he hath built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It says, he shall receive a reward. So this doesn't determine salvation, this determines rewards. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. That means the reward that God wanted to give him uh, will be lost but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, it talks here in our text, for God shall bring every work into judgment. Now notice this here, and this, is, this kind of troubles me tonight, where it says with every secret thing. Does that bother any of you? 
with every secret thing. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one sees him. For God sees him. In Luke 12, in verse 3, Jesus said it this way, Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed from the housetops. Again, Jesus said another time, Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof on the day of judgment. Sounds pretty thorough. Sounds like we ought to watch what we say. Especially about other people. Every secret thing. That's scary to me. Now I think we can get right with God. And I think we can stay right with God. But this inescapable day should change the behavior of every one of us. Romans 14.10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. He says, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set at naught thy brother? That word naught means to diminish to nothing. To diminish to nothing. There are some people, when they gossip about people, behind their back, diminish them to nothing by the time they're done talking to them. Paul says, why do you do that? Don't you understand we must stand before the judgment seat of Christ? There's never been a revival in Christian history but that the law had to first be preached. We're not familiar today with the law. We're not familiar today. Preachers aren't preaching on it, what God requires of us. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We were taught in Hebrews 12 and verse 29. It's a fearful thing. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word tonight. Lord, there is only one reality, and that is You. Thy Word says eventually there will be no remembrance of these things on the earth. And yet so many live in fantasy. So many live in delusion. So many of us are struggling, Lord, with distractions. Perhaps we have not even thought of the all day. When the only reality we know about each other in this room is that every one of us will die someday. Go to the judgment and to our reward. 
Lord, I want to pray for each one of us here and myself that there would be something left from our life that you saved. That we would not work for ourselves or live for ourselves, but unto him who died for us. And that each one of us would find what you would have us to do every day and be faithful at doing it. And Lord, there's so much that our minds cannot retain at all what you expect of us, so we must be reading your word all the time to refresh ourselves. And we must listen to preaching and teaching and as often as we can so subjects will be refreshed. But Lord, we don't want to suffer loss. We want work that remains so we may receive a reward. So help us to get busy. Lord, I'm I apologize for not fearing you enough. Forgive me. You said in the book of Jeremiah, Lord, over in chapter 32 and verse 40, that you will put your fear in their hearts. Lord, if you can do that, we, we sure need it. We pray that you'd put your fear in our hearts. We've seen tonight that if we really fear you, we'll depart from evil. If we fear you, we'll keep your commandments. But your word also says, Lord, will win souls. For the scripture says, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Give us such fear, we pray. Not to be afraid to approach you, for we know the other side is that you love. But just to be in awe of you and to even tremble at your word. Father, forgive us for not taking you serious enough. Your word, forgive me. Lord, help us to be a more God-fearing church, filled with God-fearing men and women, God-fearing teenagers, or children who grow to fear God. And now we just commend the rest of this evening into thy hands tonight. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.